Home. It is more than four walls and a roof. Home is a feeling. I'm Jennifer Stagg, and I believe that home is the most important place on the planet. Here, I dive into all things home, whether it's tips from my latest DIY project or interviews that examine what gives a house that something special. Join me as I get to the heart of the home. Would you ever be able to rent your home to complete strangers while you're still living there and then keep doing it to different groups of strangers? That's just one of the things I find so interesting about my friend, Abby Errors. You may know her as the woman who got the really bad haircut on Instagram, but when you dig deep, she is so much more than that one viral moment. Today, she's joining me on Heart of the Home podcast to discuss home, family, and how she believes we should all get to know ourselves. The Heart of the Home continues in just a moment. Hey guys, I'm jumping in for a minute to tell you about today's sponsor, Stag Design. Stag Design gives you beautiful products you can mix and match effortlessly to create your perfect home. Use the code HEARTOFTHEHOME for $10 off your next purchase. At Stag Design, we believe home is what we make it. You can find us at stagdesignshop.com. That's stag with two G's. Abby, thanks for being here. Yay. <laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm so happy. We, I was just telling you before we started recording, recording that we have been trying to get together in real life for a long time. We've run into each other at events. I totally hopped into one of your lunch dates when I ran into you at a restaurant and like sat down at the table and started talking to you forever. But as far as like seeing each other in person on purpose, we haven't been able to make it happen. I'm sorry. No, what the heck? I'll just take responsibility for it. And then it's COVID's fault after that. And then Corona. Let's just blame it on Corona. It's Corona's fault. It's Corona. Okay. So if you're not familiar with Abby, first of all, which rock have you been living under? Because she has taken social media by storm. First, I just want you to tell us how you hopped into the social media scene, because it's a it's a pretty unique story, I would say. <laughs> yes, it is. It's, it's so funny because you like, I feel like I was just pushed off of a cliff And then you just like learn to fly on your way down. And it's like, okay, here we go. So in, I had been doing Insta stories forever for like two years. And I had like super devout following of a thousand to 1200 people. Right. And it's funny because like, I, I haven't really changed from that. And I, my husband was like, why is that the one that went viral? So I got this haircut in July of last year and It went viral on Instagram, which was really hard back then because there wasn't a way to like share a story. There wasn't a way. So people had to like take a picture of my like profile and share that. And anyway, um, it went viral and it went crazy and it blew up. And ever since then, our lives have just like completely changed. More than just a haircut, though, because you got a haircut, a bad haircut. Yeah. And you made a huge joke about it. And I think most people would not have had that reaction, but I think it speaks yes. so true to who you are and and really, you know, exposed how you deal with life's ups and downs because you got this haircut. And describe the haircut for us. So you're right. It wasn't just a bad haircut. So first and foremost, I like 
my hair, you know, when you just dye it too much and you kind of go crazy and it was kind of just looking really bad. So I needed one of those like refresher cuts and it just, (laughs) it just wasn't what I was expecting at all. And the way it was styled and just, just how it came out, I got in the car and I just, I just kept looking at myself like I'm a completely different person. <laughs> like, you know, you know those cuts when you're like, when you just like look at yourself in the mirror and don't realize it's you for a minute, you have to do like that double take, like, <laughs> like at first. I, so I looked like a, like a grandma. I was like, I look like a 75 year old Carol. Like, <laughs> like what is wrong what's happening it was gray because my hair was super blonde and we put in low lights and so it turned like super gray and ashy and then it was just short in the front longer in the back like it was just bad it was so bad and then so I just I could either like laugh or cry and literally there's nothing I could have done like I I couldn't go back in there or else it would have gotten shorter I couldn't change the color or my hair would fall out. So it was just kind of like one of those moments where it's like literally all I could do was laugh or cry. And because I told people I was getting my haircut and like I even filmed during my haircut, I was like, oh, this is so awesome. (laughs) So I get in the car and everyone's like, how's the haircut? And I'm just like, (laughs) I can't, I couldn't even look at myself without laughing. And so... I think it was just super relatable because everybody's been there. It was funny and it just resonated with a lot of people. It was a totally like just honest and open reaction to how I was feeling in that moment. And so because I had been doing Instagram for so long, when people came to my page, my Instagram page, there was a pillow of like other funny things that I had been doing. And so they came for the Carol cut, but then they stayed because of Abby. They stayed because of other funny things and other funny stories that I had been sharing over the last two years. How has life changed since the Carol cut? Oh my gosh. I feel like it's funny. I was thinking about this the other day, like what has changed? I feel like a a lot of a lot of things have changed and I've tried really hard. I think that was like the number one thing my family said was like, don't let this change you. Don't let this change you. And I'm like, when, when, when a life changing event happens, you change, like you change all the time. You change every day. Um, I don't think that like my personality has changed or my love of my family or anything like that, but maneuvering my, like, this is a a whole new aspect of our lives. And if we, Anna and I were both like, oh my gosh, if we could figure out like how to make, you know, monetize this and do this as a profession, like how awesome would that be? Just to live our normal lives and document it and like turn that into a job. I mean, I don't know who wouldn't want that. So over the last like six to eight months since this has happened, um, we've tried to kind of maneuver it and, and figure out a way to make it profitable and like make it meaningful and add value to people. And it's not been like some easy thing. It hasn't just been like, Oh, I'm an influencer now. And now I know what to do. Like, and I think that's another cool thing that people have been able to watch is from somebody to go from not 
like for somebody to go in a short amount of time to turn into this role and influencer, I hate that word, but I guess that's the title. And um, I've just done it super differently than other people because I, I wasn't trained. It didn't take years and it was kind of just like placed in my lap. And so I think that it's just a different, it's totally different than anyone I've ever followed on Instagram or other people. And I'm not in a box. And I think a lot of influencers feel like they're in this box and I can only do, you know, design or this or that. And I, it's just me. I'm a lifestyle. So it's like, I can talk about anything. I can do whatever I want. And it's hard. It's tricky, but it's so fun. And I feel so blessed and we love it. And Ammon and I have the personality for it. We love it. And it's just, it's been really enjoyable, but yeah, there's definitely been a learning curve. You know, I think there are some things that have been really fascinating that, that people have learned about you as they've started following you so much more than just a bad haircut or so much more even than humor. I want to touch on some of those, but I want to start at the beginning, okay. if you will. Yep. Can you talk about a little bit about where you're from, what your house was like growing up, um, how your parents were, and and start of, start from there? Sure. So I'm from Park City, Utah, which is kind of in this like fancy schmancy little town <laughs> up in Utah. And um, my dad and mom are entrepreneurs. So it was always like up and down. And I never knew, I never knew anything about our finances or anything, but I did know that we were, you know, kind of well off and comfortable. We never wanted for anything. And, um, my parents really worked on, my parents really tried to bond our family through tr traditions and faith and, um, you know, connection we we were i mean honestly i feel like we had the perfect family i feel really blessed and really lucky and i never i never knew what i had until i left park city like i never knew that we that park city was even this like amazing town i just thought it was like every other town in in the united states and you know nothing special and then i moved and it was like oh like i i didn't realize that like other people didn't live like this or whatever and not in like a money way, but just like that people lived unhappily, that people were miserable and that they chose to live like that. Or that people, you know, in, when, when a trial came, it, it, that people weren't raised to just fight through. It's like, wait, like, let's look at the positive side or let's, you know, like, oh, I'm so sorry. You're sad. Let's feel that feeling and move on. And, um, it's funny because like in Utah, there's a lot of Mormons, right? There's a lot of people from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And in Park City, there's not. I had 12 girls that were Mormon in my graduating class. Like that was it. And so I went to Utah State and like that was a huge like, what the heck? Like there are so many Mormons here. And it was like culture shock for me. Anyway, yeah, that was that's kind of where I'm from. And, and my like faith was a huge part of it. Um, you know, happiness, memories, building relationships. Like I look back and just think that my parents did a phenomenal job of raising the six kids. Yeah. Six kids. Wow. I know. And they're really spread out. It's a 24 year gap between my oldest brother and my youngest sister. Is that crazy? <laughs> I was 18 when my littlest sister was born. Are you the oldest? No. 
No, you're not the oldest. I had a brother that was six years older than me. He was 24. He was married. My sister was married. So my, my older brother and my older sister were both married. My brother was 26 and my sister was 24. I'm sorry. My brother was 24. My sister was 22. My sister had a baby two weeks after my mom had my youngest sister. So it was a huge, I mean, it was, a, it was not planned, obviously. But yeah, my mom was 45. My sister was 22. They had kids two weeks apart. So it's like a weird family dynamic. But I'm so close to all of them. Like, my mom tried really hard to even then, like, foster those relationships, even though I never even lived with my youngest sister, Sophie. Wow. You know, that's interesting. My, my husband is the youngest of seven kids. And his oldest sister's daughter, oldest daughter, is two years younger than me. Yeah. So, so our kids, we have kids that are the same age. And that's a little bit weird. Yeah, right? Sophie, there's no way Sophie's having kids with me. No, no, totally weird. And like, <laughs> she's I don't know. She's 16. Yeah, it's crazy. And my parents, I think it's kept, kept my parents really young. I mean, or really tired for a very long time. Yes. Yeah. That's like a lack of sleep for an extended <laughs> period of time. Oh, I know. My mom has had kids in her home from like, what, 20 to f- she's now 61. Well, that is a that's a, a superior form of woman, I would say. <laughs> superior to me for sure. That's like that's like advanced womanhood. And I'm more like middle of the road womanhood, I would say. <laughs> um, let's talk about how you met Ammon. Okay, so uh, Ammon and I met up in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. We had both just gotten off of our missions and we went up to do river rafting up on the Snake River. And it's fun. He's two years younger than I am. And I know his oldest brother. I know his oldest brother, Brandon. I knew him for a long time, even before my mission. And I even knew his other brother, Jack, nine months before I ever met Ammon. So Jack's my age, Brandon's older. I've knew them for years. And then we all went up to Jackson and my friends had a list of all these guys. There's, if you're single and you're a woman, like go be a river guide up in Jackson Hole. Cause there's all these hot single dudes that are strong and <laughs> like, yeah, it's a good, it's a good place. <laughs> so they like had this list of guys they wanted me to go on dates with. And, um, Ammon wasn't even on the list, like not even, he was just the little brother. And we just became super, super good friends. And by the end of the summer, like we kissed on the last day that he left. And since that time, like we've just never, we've just never left each other. Like we've just always, it's just been like, he's my soulmate. He is. That. I know. Did you did you guys just know instantly? Like no, okay. because when we met, we were just super good friends and we just like jived really good together. And there was not like this, like, because he's younger, I don't know what it is. Maybe you you know, but like when you're dating and there's a younger guy, there's zero. Like I had zero expectation. I had zero, like I wasn't nervous or scared. Cause it was just like, oh, you're like younger than me. Like th- that's not happening. <laughs> like I'm so much cooler than you because I'm, I'm older. So much cooler. <laughs> I've only dated. Okay, I've dated two younger guys, and it was kind of that same 
thing. I was like, you're you're obviously choosing older for a reason. <laughs> I'm superior in every aspect. <laughs> no, but yeah, I think like the, our guards were just down because we both in the back of our mind were like, oh, it's not going to happen. Like Ammon was, Ammon was like, oh, you're two years older. Like she's way, you know, that's like out of my league. I don't know. That just that was kind of there. So all the barriers were down and we just had so much fun. And Ammon is the goofiest guy. Like he's just such a good guy. And by the end of the summer, yeah, it was like, I really like you. And it was scary to move from like friends to lovers. But when that switch was made, yeah, we both just knew. Like we just it's so weird. There so there was like a super special moment. It was the night before we kissed, so we hadn't even kissed yet, and we had just been cuddling, and he walked me back to my tent, because we literally lived in tents down by the river, and I just remember holding on to him. Like, this was one of the most special moments. I can't believe I'm talking about it, but we just, like, held on to each other so tight. Like, I couldn't let him go. I just couldn't let him go, and, like, I feel like our souls just knew, like, you found each other. Like, you... You you found like you found your soulmate. You're good, and then like from that moment on, we we literally from the time that happened until maybe a year into our marriage, we had spent maybe ten days apart. Like that's it. We just love being together. We still do. We still just love being together, hanging together. We're best friends. We're lovers. We're parents together. We just do it all together and. We've been through really hard times and like, you know how some people have marital problems and that's just the struggle that they have. Like, I'm just so grateful that that is not the struggle that we have, you know? And yeah, sorry. So that's (laughs) how we met and how we fell in love. And it's just from the moment on and yeah, it's a love story. It's a good one. I love it. I had only kissed like one other guy too my whole life. I My first kiss was at 21 and like we just, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. We hadn't dated a ton of pe- other people and yeah, so I was 24. He was 22 when we got married. Oh my gosh. So what was it like when you got married and you get to decide what kind of home and life you guys want to build together? So talk about, give me sort of an idea of, of that home life and, and what you guys knew you wanted to create and where you are now. Okay, so that's a great question. Look at you. It's like you're, it's like you're an interviewer or something. It's like I have <laughs> like, a little bit of experience in this like or something. Professionally, I don't know. So Ammon, again, was two years younger. I had literally just graduated from college and he was just starting college. So that was not very fun. (laughs) So I literally was like the sugar mama for a minute and I didn't make, so, okay, we got married in 2010. That is like the, it was the hardest time to find a job. It was the worst, literally the worst time in our economy. It was hard to find a job. Like we struggled financially so bad. No one was hiring. We were super poor. Ammon was going to school full-time, working full-time. And I think our goal for like the life we wanted to create, we were just scraping by living paycheck to paycheck, tons of debt, student loans. I was trying to find a job. I found a job working uh, for my dad at PMD. 
uh, he had just started that company. So he was working from my grandma's basement. So PMD Beauty, it's an at-home microdermabrasion tool. I have one. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> there you go. He's- I didn't know that you had any connection to it, but I have one oh, yeah. upstairs, actually. Yeah. So my dad started that and owns that company. And um, huh. he um, was hit really hard with the with the economy. He was in land and all that. And so he had patents to this at-home microdermabrasion tool. And it was kind of his Hail Mary uh, thing and he just started really low. He started in my in his mom's, my grandma's basement, and he'd go to work and he drove like a '95 Saturn. And they had like a a condo in Salt Lake, so they had just moved from California to this condo. And I just he was like, "Why don't you go sell the PMD? Like, go to all the beauty shows, go to like all the you know the big conventions and shows, and just try to sell it." So my mom and I kind of started our own little business called my skincare favorites and we'd go all over the United States and sell this, sell these tools at these trade shows. And it was hard. Like owning your own business is so hard. I remember one weekend we made $30,000 and every single dollar went to expenses. Like we had to buy the product. We had to pay for the show. We had to pay that. And it was like, I maybe walked away with a thousand dollars and it was like, thousands of hours of work and it would it just is so hard and I was gone from Ammon all the time I was super sick with this like really weird chronic hive thing and we wanted to start a family which is so funny looking back isn't it funny when you're like okay I'm 24 in Utah I just got married like now I want to have a baby I wasn't like that I was definitely the odd man out when it comes to that were you um Yes, I was. And I felt very out of, I felt like a fish out of water. Okay, so you're 24. Yeah, I was 24 uh, when we got married. And I was like, let's start trying like in the next, you know, year to have a baby. So that November, we were like, okay, let's start trying. Which is so funny after everything I've already told you, like we're in this terrible situation in no way, shape or form were we ready to bring a child into this world. Um, but we wanted to, right? And and I think that's a problem, right, with our culture here where it's like, yeah, you got to get married and have a baby and that's the most important, which it is, but you got to like use your brain too. <laughs> so we started trying in November, October of 2010. And it took us three years to get pregnant. So I'm glad that we like started that journey then to find out that I had like problems with infertility because it took three years for us to get pregnant, which is like looking back, obviously everything happens for a reason. It was so good. So we, uh, we, Ammon's going through school. We're super poor. I have these issues. I'm traveling all the time. It was just a real, I think we were just like scraping by and trying to survive and living one day, one week at a time. And I got pregnant. So I was working for PMD. Then PMD um, merged with my skincare favorites. And I just, uh, they hired me as an employee because they, <laughs> they're like, <laughs> that business was going really well. And my business was like so hard for me. I couldn't handle all of it. And so they like brought me on as an employee and I got paid $2,500 a month working 40 hours a week. Like, you know, it's just like the worst of times. And 
they would bonus me though. So that was nice. But, um, then I was in charge of all the like large accounts. So we were getting Nordstrom and Costco and Neiman Marcus to carry this at home tool. And it was growing really well. I learned all about social media marketing. Like we built PMD off of social media marketing. There were four, there were four employees, right. And maybe five or six by the time I left. And it just grew into this huge company and I got pregnant and it was like so happy. Aaron and I were in a, you know, finally he had just graduated. We had Aspen and he graduated like within the same month. So it was like, finally, like you've graduated, go get a job. I have a baby. I can stay home. And that was kind of nice. So yeah, that's kind of like the beginning of it. And we moved out to Michigan after he got his job. He got his job in Traverse City, Michigan. Uh, we moved out there for a couple of years and I had, so when, when we had Aspen, the doctors were like, okay, like what, what birth control do you want to be on? And I was like, none, none. Like, I don't want to get on birth control after we just spent three years trying to get a baby. And I got pregnant six months after she was born. So I had, it was insane. So Taggart and Aspen are only 15 months apart. I have 19 month apart kids. that's it's that's like it's so close it's so close oh it's close yeah we both wait forever and then it's like bam bam yep so yeah exactly very close and then we moved out to Michigan and then we had Helen two years later we moved back to Utah and that is kind of when everything changed for us like Ammon hated working his job out in Michigan he worked like 80 hours a week he was getting paid a 40 hour, like a salary for 40 hours, but he was working 80 hours and we only had one car and I was literally in quarantine. I felt like Corona, like Corona's bringing back PTSD. I would not leave the, the house. I would leave the house one time a week and it was to go to church. And it was two years of me just staying in my house all the time with these kids. And it was a very weird time because I look back on that time and it was so, so special. You know, the special parts of Corona where you're like, oh, we're bonding as a family. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, I, you're asking me on a bad day. Like, bad day. I know those moments are happening, but I need some space before I can feel like we're really nailing those moments yeah. because our last couple of days have been real <laughs> rough around here. But I, I do, I know what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. Like it was just a weird time where it was just me. I knew no one. I literally knew no one. I didn't have a car. We didn't have tons of money. Obviously we, I don't know. It was just a very weird time. And I feel like I really connected to the kids in like a really special way. And it was a time where I was able to be very, very creative. Like when you're stuck, it's like Rapunzel. (laughs) She's stuck in her tower and she's doing like all these crafts and crazy things. Like that is exactly, exactly where I was at. Like, I wrote a murder mystery. I wrote another book. I wrote a cookbook. I, you know, like I did all these super creative, weird things that I normally never would have had the chance to do, right? Like when do you have time to sit down and write? Or, you know, I don't know. I just had to be super creative. And that's kind of when I learned how to like 
entertain myself. A bored person is a boring person, right? And you just, when you're stuck in those situations, there's only so many TV shows you can watch. There's only so much, like so much outside entertainment that can like bring you sanity. And you really have to dig deep and dive into like, okay, I gotta, I gotta figure something out. Cause I can't read another book. I can't watch another show. I can't, I need to do something for myself, but I'm stuck here. So what can I do? So yeah, it was, I had to do projects. I learned how to bake cakes and, you know, just became like this little homemaker, little Betty Crocker. And that, it brought me like passion and drive more than I ever would have or could have imagined because it was like forced and it was fun and it turned into something that I could enjoy. Otherwise I would have been swallowed whole, whole by depression. You know, it was like, I could either get up and like, be creative and find something or I could literally just let the kids consume all of me and just take all of it. And I just couldn't, I, I did get to that point at one, at, at some point it was like, I cannot, I just can't do this anymore. I got to get up. I got to get ready every day. And then I have to plan out, you know, activities or some type of other stimulation for my brain because I am going to go nuts. And my heart has a super special place for the women that have small kids at home. And that's like literally their whole life. And it's hard to find yourself in that. Like take away the kids, take away the husband, take away the money, take away everything. And what is left? What is left? You know, I think had we been able to ease into isolation, I think everybody maybe would have been able to deal with it a little bit better. But that period of like, all of a sudden, the things that you were doing looked completely different than they did before. I think that's been really hard. In fact, I just mentioned that to my husband last night. I'm like, I'm not a good Corona mom. Like, I need all those other things in my life that I had before that are really challenging to do right now. I need those things yeah. to be like the best version of myself, you know? Yeah. But the funny thing is like, you don't. Like, I think you can get to a point. I mean, I think that those things, so this is what my whole, I have a retreat called Unsalted, right? And like, we talk all about this. And when you take away, I feel like the salt in our lives are like, it, it emphasizes us and it helps us. And it like brings the best things out. And those are the things that you're talking about, right? Like the things that you feel like you need to be the best mom. And the best version of yourself. And, and I think that that's like the salt. And, but if you just have salt by itself, like it's disgusting, right? So you've got to figure out like, like I said, when you take away all the activities, all the friendships, all the kids, like if you were to take away all of that and, sh you know, take all of the salt away, what are you left with? What is that raw, unsalted base version of yourself. And I think that like for two years, getting down to that was very, very insightful for me. And I feel like a lot of confidence came from that because it was in that really hard time that I was able to say, who, who is Abby? Solo Abby. You know, who, what are my passions? What am I doing? And what drives me and like getting down to that and recognizing that I didn't need anyone or anything 
or any extra to just be a valuable asset, you know, just because I'm me. And then when you, then when you get to that point and realize that and realize like, oh, I do have something to give. I do have value without all this extra stuff. Then when you do add on the extra salt and you do add on those other, you know, the friendships and the outings and the projects, right? And all those things, it just, it makes you so much better than yourself. I don't know if that makes any sense at all, but. No, it does make sense to me. You know, when I, I was in a career for a really long time, I was a journalist and leaving news and doing something completely different felt like a part of me was dying. It, it yeah. sounds dramatic, but I literally went through a mourning process, even though it was my decision, even though I was the one who felt like it was the best thing for me to leave that job. I wasn't pushed out, but I felt like I was, I was making a really hard choice. And then it was like, oh my gosh, who am I if I'm not this? If I'm, if I'm not this journalist, what does that mean about who I am and who is that person? And I had been doing it for so long and I, you know, it was kind of like a, it was almost like an abusive relationship because I threw everything into it. And then I was like, well, what's left after that? And I, I had to find my way and figure out what else I was passionate about. Yeah, exactly. Like when you leave those things, when they're stripped away, it's like, oh my gosh, you realize like, oh, I like my identity was wrapped up in that. And I feel like for infertility, let's take that for example, right? Like women dealing with infertility, they're so wrapped up in it and they, they base their value on it. Like we get to the point or career, you base your value on those types of things. And it's like, when those go away, what are we left with? We're left with this empty shell. And it's like, it's sad. It's really sad. And we do that as humans. We, we track everything. How much money do you make? How many kids do you have? How many, you know, what are all your, what are all of your trophies lined up on that shelf? Like we literally look at other people and we judge them based on all of those things. And when we take all of them away, and I feel like Corona has kind of done this in a little bit of a way where it's like, nope, you can't hang out with any of your friends. You can't do any of this stuff. Like, let's just get back down to seriously this raw person of who you are and looking at your soul, like looking at Jennifer Stagg's soul inside. Like, where is that value? Who is that person? And you don't need, like reporting is, is a salt, Reporting is the salt to who you really are. And everybody does it. Everybody makes that mistake of, of valuing themselves based on their achievements or their, you know, successes or whatever they do. But then when those go away, it's just, it's depressing. And I think that's when I, when I was in Michigan, totally solo as a, as a woman and mom, and I literally had nothing. And it was really hard. I had my kids. And I think that that is when I got super depressed and I, and I had to look at myself in the mirror and say, wait, like motherhood is the, is the cat, you know, the keystone. It's what women are meant to be. And I had gone through this infertility journey and then I had kids and I was so angry and depressed and sad because I had to deal with these kids. And then I felt ungrateful because I had these kids and I worked so hard and there was all these emotions and I was so angry and mad. And I felt like I had been gypped kind of like, Oh my gosh, I worked so hard to get these kids. And now that I have them, I like, 
it's not that I hate them, but <laughs> like, give me a break. Like, who am I now? And I just got super depressed and super lonely and sad. And it was like, wait a minute, I've completely lost who I am. And let's get back to that. And that's when I reached deep inside and said, okay, like my kids are something, and it's sad, but motherhood is a job. Like motherhood is a really amazing, incredible, hard job. That does not define who I am, sadly, sadly. And people might disagree and say, no, like I am a mother. But what, what happens when your kids die? What happens when they're taken away? Who are you, right? Like you're- Or when they grow up. Or when they grow up and leave the house. Like, okay, so, and I'm, I'm not, that's really drastic, obviously. But these women, you know, when your kids die or when they grow up and leave or whatever, like, you have to completely redefine who you are. You lose your job. You leave, you leave your career. You do this. Like, let's not, let's recognize who we are as a soul, as a human, what we have to give. And then when we lose those things, it's not devastating. We don't go into this spiral of depression and like, you know, anyway, that's, that's, <laughs> <laughs> off on a tangent but yeah that's that's really like I think a big a huge thing that I learned in that time and I'm really grateful for those years and I just feel so much like empathy for all women that go through that and it's hard because they feel guilty for even talking about it right like then when you do talk about it they're like you're so ungrateful and it's like no everybody goes <laughs> I don't know what mom has not gone through that. I really don't. Let me ask you this. Who is that person when you take away all the salt for you? A divine goddess. <laughs> I joke about it, but that's the truth. Like that's, I believe you. That's what I've come up on. Like I'm a, I'm a freaking divine goddess who deserves to be happy and deserves to have pleasure and deserves to you know, live a joyful, happy life. Everyone deserves to live a joyful, happy life unapologetically. You know, I, I tend to swing on the severe side of humility, I would say. Like talking about myself makes me very uncomfortable. Shining a light on any accomplishments makes me very uncomfortable. It is so refreshing honestly, to hear someone who is so unapologetic about themselves. <laughs> well, and I'm not trying to be prideful. Like, it's not even a prideful thing. It's not, it's not, it's just a truth. Like, that is a truth. And so are you, like, right? You, Jennifer Stagg, you are a divine goddess who deserves to be happy, to be loved, to, you deserve the world. You deserve success. You deserve peace. Like you were made to feel those feelings and to be happy. Like men were made, men and women were made to be, feel joy and peace and happiness. And I believe that we were made from a divine God and that we 
can truly find like ultimate happiness and joy in our families, in our lives with all the salt and the unsalted, right? Like with our raw unsalted self and with all the salt, with all the bells and whistles, like enjoy, thrive, you know, feel all those things. And yeah, crap is going to come. We all know that. Like we've all experienced it. We know it. Bad things are going to happen and it sucks. I've lost my hearing this week, right? Like 40% loss in my left ear and it sucks, but that's okay. Like, it's okay. It's okay because I have so many other things and I know deep down who I am. So when things come like this, it doesn't jar me. When things come, it's like, well, I'm a divine goddess, so bring it. And I'm going to choose happiness because that's the only thing, the only thing that we truly have control over is our choices, what we're going to choose to feel, what we're going to choose to do, how we choose to think, how we choose to do anything, right? Why not feel peace and joy and confidence and happiness? Um, Because it is a choice. It's 100% a choice. And people that play the victim uh, rob themselves of that choice. And it's really sad to watch. And it's hard to practice. It's hard to learn that and to practice that because it's a skill. And I'm still learning. I'm not saying that I'm perfect here. Like, yeah, there's bad days. But because I've taken all that salt away and figured out who that I'm sorry that I keep going back to that. But to go back to that raw person and figure out like, really, who am I? Who are you? Like that truly is who I am. I'm a daughter of a heavenly being who absolutely loves me and I have worth with nothing else just because I am a human being. I love that. Okay, so I'm going to talk about something that I cannot wrap my head around with you and Ammon. (laughs) Okay, you guys rent out your house (laughs) while you're living there. So this is not this is not like a second home or even like a basement. No, you guys like list your house on Airbnb and when people want to stay there, you guys leave and go stay somewhere else. Yeah. And you let people stay in your house with your stuff in your beds. I can't I just Isn't I crazy. Please share. Is that because you have so little attachment to things now? Well, yeah, that's part of it. So, okay, let's get back to the story at hand and the why. Because I get this question all the time. Okay, I'm glad you asked. Because it's crazy. I cannot. People are like, what is wrong with you? So, okay, so let's go back. We're in so much debt. We moved back to Utah, right? We bought a house. Okay, this is crazy. So while we're in Michigan, right, we were there for two years. The first year we rented, the second year, there was a man in our church who was 93 years old. He lived in this house that the water, the well had been broken. So he literally had to go to a neighbor's and get water every day. He'd crawl up his stairs to go to the bathroom. He like, it was just a really bad, really bad situation. We, he gave us that house for $10,000. And then, so we made a deal with him. There's no way we would have been able to afford a house. Like we were literally still living paycheck to paycheck It was crazy. And he said, hey, I'm going to move into a home because I'm to the point where it's bad. I'm going to move into a home. I'm going to, um, I'm going to give you my house. Because it was, it was condemnable, right? Like everybody that went in there was like, this needs to be torn down. Like there were cobwebs. 
there was a jar of peanut butter that had been half eaten and it expired in 1974. Yeah, we were like, oh, there were rat traps with rat carcasses and like rat skeletons in there. There were, I mean. I wish you could see my face. I kind of wish that podcast had video right now. Yeah, yeah. Before and after pictures, I will show you. I have them all. I can't believe I haven't done a blog post about this. So we make a deal with him. And he's like, I'm going to give you my house for $10,000. And then you pay me $500 every month until I die or up to five years. That's the deal we made to get into this house. And he's still alive, by the way. <laughs> what? He's still alive? How old is he at this point? I think he's like 96 at this point. So we have a year left, but I think we'll just keep paying him $500 a month until he dies. Cause he's the cutest, nicest guy. He was okay. So he was a bachelor, never had any kid, kids, like no next of kin. Right. So if he were to die, like this house would have just gone to the state. Okay. So that's like, that's kind of cool. There's no way we would have been able to afford a house otherwise. Right. So we buy this house for $10,000 and we, just take, I mean, we just rip it down to the studs and completely redo the house while Ammon is working 80 hours a week while we have these two kids and I'm pregnant with Helen. I remember installing the floors like eight months pregnant with Helen. Oh my gosh. That was also a huge project that we did during this crazy time. And we loved it. We literally, and like five or six banks, they wouldn't lend on the house because it was condemnable. And so we had to go find a private lender and an an investor. So we got this house and we turned that house into just this beautiful, amazing home. And we loved it so much. So we sold that home and moved back to Utah. So we had some money, right? So we have a little bit of money. We move back to Utah. We buy another fixer upper. So we bought a house in West Valley. Remember all these, we have so many West Valley stories, right? So we moved in with Ammon's parents. We're living in his base, their basement, right? This is like three years ago. It's not like this was 10 years ago. This was literally three years ago. We, um, you know, we still have debt and we still have crap. So we, we decide to buy another fixer upper. Again, this house is just not in good shape at all. It's in West Valley. It's in the same neighborhood as my in-laws and we do it again. We flip that house again. And instead of selling it, we moved in and we made a basement apartment and we, um, you know, we put our blood, sweat and tears into it. And it was, it was so awesome. We love that house so much. So we're kind of on this like, let's, and we're hustling, right? I'm working two jobs. Ammon's working a job. We have three kids. We're fixing this house. Like it was such a busy time, but we are hustlers. Like Ammon and I are working our hardest to just get out of debt, make money. And in this day and age, it's not like, I don't, I don't know how people do it on one income. I really don't. It's sad. It's like we, and, and I think that's a cool thing about me is I've been, I've been with that. You know, I, I was raised where it was just like, you know, here's everything you need. And I still worked and stuff, but I've also been on this side of like, I'm relatable, I think, because I've been in this, like, 
I don't know how people live without two incomes and I don't know how people live without hustling and without actually doing, you know, other stuff other than just one income. And we read these books, we started reading all these financial books, like, and one of the rules is you have to have seven streams of income. Like that's how you know you're financially secure is seven streams of income. And I'm sure everybody's heard that. And at that point, we only had Ammon's job as that one stream of income. Well, we had Ammon's job. We ha- I was working for a nonprofit, um, Engage Now Africa. I was working for D to Decon. I was the director of D to Decon. So we had three streams of income, but it wasn't like tons of money. And we bought this house and we fixed this house up. My sister-in-law called me one day and she's like, there's a house in my neighborhood for sale. It's this awesome house. It's a fixer-upper again. Like, just come and check it out. So I call the guy and we end up getting this house for really good deal. And it's our third fixer upper and it's up in Mill Creek. It's really good area, really awesome house. And we totally turn it into this, like we've turned this house into an awesome house. There's two kitchens. So there's a kitchen upstairs and downstairs There's a laundry room upstairs and downstairs. And we turned this whole house into an Airbnb. Like we had the plan to live in the upstairs and rent down the basement or Airbnb the basement. So we rented out our, we rented out our uh, West Valley house and became landlords. And that was terrifying. We didn't sell it. We just became landlords. And then we moved up to this Mill Creek house and we didn't have tons of money. Like this Mill Creek house appraised for a lot of money, right? And we tried to get it to the most amount of money, but it, it appraised for like $750 or $750,000. We can't afford a $750,000 house. Like, you know, it's like, this is crazy. So we knew we had to hustle and we had to use, and then in these books, right? They always say, use your assets, like learn what your assets are and then use them. So we... We figured that we, my parents were going to China for a month in July and we rented our whole house out and we made like $15,000 in that month renting out our house. And we were like, this is amazing. Like Airbnb, you can make a lot of money and we could have up to 25 people in this house. Right. And so, and it's in a good area. Like, so we knew like there are certain like peak times and low times. So we learned all about Airbnb. We learned all the tips and tricks. We, we are minimalists anyway, like because we've moved so much in the last however long. And so we just got locks for our closets and we kind of learned the Airbnb ways. And using our assets, it has been such a like mind shattering lesson. It's like, oh, this is so stupid. Like, why don't more people do this? We could go live in a hotel for a week, you know, go on vacation for a week and make way more money doing that. So, and this is, you know, we, I hadn't, Instagram hadn't blown up, you know? So it was like, what the heck can we do? Like, how, how can we utilize our assets? So we had, we moved to my parents and then there's other peak times. So we rented out, uh, like whenever we'd go out of town, we'd rent out and then we would just rent out the basement. So it was an Airbnb and there's a door. So it's totally separate. So we would always rent out the basement and then we would rent out our whole house during like super peak seasons. And we put it for really, really high so that we made sure that we made enough money to make it worth it. You know, if we're only going to make $2,000, that's not worth it for us to move our whole family. 
And we recognize that this is like not a long term thing that we could do. But for the last, like for the last year, it's like, okay, let's like get out of debt, pay as much off as we can, you know, like let's utilize this. And uh, we kind of got into that feel. And then in winter, obviously in Utah, it's a super high period of uh, time. And we had our, we had almost our whole house booked from December, January, February, so we were like, we got to find somewhere. So we just rented, we just rented a house for $2,000 a month. And then we rented this house and made, you know, $10,000, $12,000 every, you know, in those three months. Well, a month, right? And it sounds crazy and it's weird. And I feel like rich people would not get it. But people that like are hustling and want to make some extra money and, you know, and kind of build that nest egg, like, it's a, it's a viable, good option. And with our kids in the state that they were, you know, they're young and it just worked out. I know. Is that crazy? Is it crazy that we do this? It's just the germs that get me. And the <laughs> funniest thing though, that, because I just like the thought of other people like sleeping in my bed or my kids' beds, it messes with my brain a little bit. But if I could have like a clean, but then at, at the same time, it's like, but I do that at a hotel, right? Like yes. I'm sleeping in a bed that somebody else has slept in in a hotel. It's not that different. I don't know. But the most fascinating thing too is that what you call the spoils. <laughs> Tell me what that is because I am like, I'm sucked in every time you post about the spoils. Isn't it crazy? So we, okay, so we rent it out, obviously, and then we come back and they've always, they always leave something. Which is, do you leave, like when you go to, when you go to an Airbnb, do you leave stuff? No. Like no. anything? No. I mean, we, okay. So when we go to Hawaii, we stay in like this condo and we never use all of the food and the, we didn't know what to do with it at first. We tried giving it to like other hotel guests, you know, and then somebody said to us one time, just leave it there because the host, the hotel staff will all take it. Yeah. And that's kind of what you are. You're the hotel staff that's taking all the food. It's so funny. Like, and the weirdest things too, like spatulas and like other things. And I'm like, we have those, like you can use ours. So yeah. So every time we come back, it's one of my favorite things too. And you don't like, it's, it's kind of like a treasure hunt because they, you know, put them in different, <laughs> just find them over the like week. <laughs> so there's like, Yeah. We always find food, we'll find things, we'll find, you know, we found a diamond one. You found a diamond? Yes, we found it, we took it in, we took it to like be appraised and it was a cubic zirconium, but it was still like 300 bucks and we tried to figure out whose it was. We're like, hey, did you lose a diamond? You know, you can talk to your like, the people staying and we're like, did you lose a diamond? And nobody, nobody claimed it. I mean, it's just funny. So we always, after we come back, it's cleaned. We hire people to clean it. We always, and like on the beds, we have bed covers and we have all the things. So, and we don't use the same bedding and it's all separated, but um, we come back and we always, I always tell the cleaners like, don't, don't throw the spoils away. Cause we all want to see what they left. <laughs> I want to make a coffee book table. That's like all the things left in my Airbnb. <laughs> you should. Um, question. Now that you've, how does that work though? Because you've sort of fallen into this homesteading thing where you're, you know, you're an avid gardener, you make sourdough bread, you've got, you know, you guys want to do bees, you do, 
you know, all this stuff. How does that work with Airbnb? And then also, can you just tell us where your love of homesteading comes from? For sure. So I think that the homesteading, and it's funny because we call it homesteading. And I just started calling it that because we just do all these fun projects and activities. And I'm definitely a project person. But I love, you know, brewing kombucha or making sourdough bread. It's like an art. It's kind of fun. And we got chickens. When we got chickens, I'm like, okay, we're homesteaders now. Like, I guess that's what you would categorize us under. Um, I don't look at it as homesteading. I just look at it as like doing fun, crazy projects. But with the garden, we have a gate in our back that we can always check on the garden when we are airbnb And I don't know how much longer we're going to Airbnb this house for. We might... We might do it in the summer for a month or two, but for the most part, we're going we're gonna to stay here for a minute. So our garden is just like a huge, uh, it's just a joy for us. It's a thing. I think that we call it homesteading, obviously. I call it just projects, but it is something that everyone in our family can do and bond over. Like we all enjoy it together and there's so much more that comes from homesteading than just getting vegetables or getting a fresh loaf of bread. There's lessons that you would never learn otherwise. And there's um, like this connection and this bond. I, I just did another interview on Facebook with a family brand and we talked all about this and it's a really good interview, but um, I, in that interview I was talking and I had an epiphany, but I feel like we as humans were made to work the ground and the soil and the dirt. And we were made to, you know, for hundreds and hundreds of years, we did that as humans. Like you didn't eat if you didn't grow food. And I don't know, there's just this connection to your ancestors and a connection to your uh, posterity that brings all of it together. And there's this feeling I need to come up with a word for it because there's this feeling that you don't get in any other way. You don't, it's just this deep connection with mother earth, with your ancestors, with your posterity, with yourself. It's therapeutic. You're, you're reaping the labor, the fruits of your labors, literally. And like when you eat your first zucchini or you from that you grew from a seed. No, there is such great satisfaction in eating something that you have personally grown, made, built. You know, I always say to people, they always say, I don't know how you guys can can build your own house or how you can work on this huge project or, you know, and I'm always like, but when you see it or when you look around, you're like, I'm bad. Like I made that. I'm awesome. Look at this amazing thing that I did. And it's the same, like I made a chimichurri sauce last night using herbs from my herb garden. And it was like, I don't have to go to the store. I'm just going to walk out and snip, snip, snip. And it was amazing. Isn't it though? And there's like, there's so many things you feel. There's, you know, you, you, I wrote these down. You, you work together, you cultivate together, you know, you, you work and cultivate together. You um, communicate together, you reap together, you grow together. And 
it's this process. And like when Corona hit and we had a full freezer stuffed full of fresh beef that we had bought from a farmer. So I talk in, I, I just wrote this course, right? I wrote this course called Homesteading Like a Gangster. And it's all about how there's seven different chapters. And one of the chapters is buying beef in bulk. I never, I had never done that. And I guess a lot of people do it but where do you even start and how do you do that? But when Corona hit and we have this full freezer full of beef, it was so secure. Like I just felt secure. I'm like, we could feed our family for a full year off of this half cow and we have a garden and we have chickens and I, (laughs) Corona really has brought that like, Oh my gosh, are we like self-reliant? Are we self-sufficient? If something happened and we really truly needed to hunker down, would we be able to survive and for how long? And it's funny because we have been doing this for a long time and it brings joy and it brings connection and it brings peace. But just recently people have been asking all about it. And so I wrote this course to be like, it's not that hard. It's not hard to can. It's just scary because everybody thinks it's this huge ordeal. It's not like you literally just do the thing. So I just wrote a super brief, you know, how to steps one, two, three, four. And it was really, I mean, I think it's really good. It's just laid out super easy. And then when you want to learn a little bit more, you can dive deeper into that through Google or, you know, asking a neighbor or something, but it just gets so overwhelming and it doesn't have to be like, when I look at it, I'm like, Oh yeah, I do compost. And I, do do these things. And people are like, I've never even thought of that. It's like, oh yeah, like you can do that. You can do it. If I can do it, you can do it for sure. What do you hope that your kids know about your home and your life growing up? Oh my gosh. That's a fantastic question. I think working hard is a really important thing that I want them to learn. I want them to learn that they are divine gods and goddesses, obviously, and learn who who they are and where they came from. I want them to be unapologetically themselves, but I also want them not to be judgmental. Like, to just recognize that everyone is in this fight together. We're all in this together, and it doesn't... It doesn't matter, you know, if we have money or we don't have money or we have things or we don't have things or you're better at this and they're not. Like everyone has their own talents and abilities and to just drop all the judgment, love other people, love yourself, like that's stay true to who you are and that's all that matters, right? Like I think that's what I would hope they get from me. Your course should be called Homesteading Like a Goddess, Not a Gangster. You are a goddess. Thank you so much for joining us. It was so fun. You know, that was such an unexpected interview with so many more layers than I could have thought. And I thought there were a lot of layers to begin with. (laughs) Sorry, that was a lot longer than you probably have. But it was fun. Like, it's fun to tell my story because I don't think a lot of people know all of that. And it's hard to tell that in a 15 second Instagram clip. So it was a pleasure coming on here and talking about it. And I, I want to interview you now. Holy cow. No, (laughs) nobody, nobody really cares about that. They're so excited to hear from you. Thank you so much for chatting with me, Abby. Where can people find you? Um, Online. So I just got a website, abbyairs.com. 
but Instagram is my main, my main place. It's Abby Ayers, A-B-I-A-Y-R-E-S at, uh, on Instagram. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Hey, we'd love to hear what you think of this episode. In our past episodes, you can send us a little rate and review. And if you have an idea for an episode, don't be afraid to send it our way. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Jennifer Stagg, and you've been listening to The Heart of the Home. I hope you'll subscribe, review, and rate this podcast, and tune in next episode for more Heart of the Home. Thank you so much for listening.